0: you're listening to neurodiversity at work David, good morning. Welcome to the podcast. David, would you like to give our audience uh, an introduction? Who you are, what you do, what you're about?
1: Absolutely. Thanks, Theo. Great to be here and welcome everyone. Thanks for the opportunity. So my name is David O'Koyman. I'm the founder and director of uh, The Do Company. Um, I'm a product designer and for the last four years I've been working on something I call furniture with purpose. (laughs) So, Uh, To that end, I've been creating products, uh, one in particular called Nook, which is designed to help uh, people and their brains. Uh, It was originally aimed at uh, introverts and uh, people on the autistic spectrum in the
0: workplace to
1: bring their whole selves to work and be more empowered while there.
0: Brilliant. So how did that come about then, David? How did you, you know, as a product designer, what did you do before and and how have you come to start making these types of products?
1: Well, they say the necessity is the mother of invention, right? But I also find that deep frustration can be very helpful in that respect as well. So um, having been a product designer for many years, I had a company prior to this. We sold it to a very, very, very large organization called Schneider Electric and as their global product manager i had the opportunity to travel the world visiting their offices that of their customers their suppliers etc so i must have seen hundreds if not thousands of offices across the world in this period of time leading up to nook and i was just so frustrated by what had become what has become of the open office it has turned into uh, what I would call a white-collar factory. I'm still very stuck in the notion of presenteeism. Uh, one size fits all for economic reasons, when in actual fact, it doesn't fit many. So with my design kind of eye, which I can't help sort of wandering the world, looking at how it can be better, I came up with the idea of creating a little sanctuary space, a space within a space that could be very easily retrofit to existing Uh, workspace. I thought that was a really important aspect of it. And I wanted it to be somewhere, um, I did a little bit of research on what were the ingredients of a good sort of, you know, multifunctional, neurodiverse workspace. And those are that it should feel like a little personal space, that it should manage noise to some extent, and that it should give you a little bit of control over lighting. So putting those ingredients together and designing for retrofit with sustainability in mind a circular economy in mind. Nook popped up four
0: years ago and it's uh, been an interesting journey since then. That's really interesting. I think, especially what's gone on recently, you know, with COVID uh, and the way that people are working. Uh, I, I know probably every single organization across the world is currently rethinking what the office space looks like of the future. And it's got to be significantly different to what it looked like before. And these kinds of spaces—not just people on the autism spectrum, um, but everybody—everybody's going to want to go back to an office that is designed in a way um, that kind of gives them the, the feeling, the sense of what they've had a piece of, which was maybe a quiet space at home, maybe not. Right? <laughs> they yeah, had, they had exactly. noisy kids, or something else going on. But they're going. To, everybody's going to be hankering after this kind of lovely. Um, kind of quiet space that they this sanctuary that they can go to to type up a piece of work or to have a conversation so I, th- I think your timing's perfect you know four years right up until this point
1: it is indeed there's no doubt about it it's been a slow burn but there's kerosene now been poured on that smoldering fire of change in the workplace and you talk about everybody and that's absolutely my approach although we focus on neuro-inclusivity the reason behind that, partly personal and partly to do with sort of empathy and wanting the better world, is also, I believe, very strongly that design for the extreme really benefits the mean. And there's a lot of great examples about that that we can, that we can talk about. But in terms of workspace, yeah, look, we've all retreated into our homes, right? And here we are six, seven months later, and we're really still very slow to change, although, you know, still sitting on bad chairs with poor posture and not really setting up our home environment to the way that we should. So I think that's something that can be focused on for improvement because this thing isn't going away anytime soon. But the workplace that we return to, first point on that is I've never seen a time in my life when employees have been more empowered to say, nah, not going back there until you do X, Y, and Z. <laughs> whoever, whoever lived through a period like that before. I've never seen anything like it. It's extraordinary. And the new workplace, you talk about, they're thinking about change. You're right there too, because a lot of what's going on at the moment is thinking. There's not a lot of change happening yet. And I think that's because of uncertainty. So there's loads of inquiry, like a small metric on that would be our website. You know, the visitor numbers and the dwell time on the website has gone through the roof, but it hasn't been reflected in orders yet. Loads of people researching what's going to happen in the future, what they want to do in the future, having a more agile workplace, a workplace that's more dynamic, that caters for mental health in a way that was never the focus before, not right down through the middle of the market. I mean, at certain corporate levels with... You know, corporate social responsibility, yes, you'd get that kind of level of, uh, uh, you know, you might have an employee engagement director, but normal companies just have an owner and an office manager. But even in a so called normal company, you're getting that attention now to what will mental health be like in the new workplace and can we make it such that we're more agile and flexible to change because we're, I think, we're now much more acutely
0: aware that our predictable lifestyle isn't as predictable as we thought. Interesting. So I won't get political here, but what I will say is what you've just mentioned there is influenced and impacted by the decisions of a government. And, um, you know, lack of clarity can mean that even though in in an organisation's mind, whoever it may be, the facilities manager or whoever else gets involved in in the work space and, and what it looks like, They may have aspirations to do incredible things and to get these lovely spaces that people can go to. However, at the moment, I know from from NICE and probably similar organisations, actually it's, oh no, it now looks like it's going to be another six months. We have to make the offices suitable for a very small number of people. So that's not actually looking at what we can introduce to the space. It's what can we take out of the space? And, And therefore, you know, you're right. It's going to be, they're going to be thinking about what the office looks like in three to six months, but no way in the world are they going to be actually implementing that, because we were looking at two office refurbs, new new office in London, one office in Manchester, completely refurbed, redesigned. Well, of course, that's, it's not gone out the window, because it will happen. However, it's it's not going to happen when we planned it to happen, and now it's probably going to look different, right? Because... The world's changed. People's demands on what that place looks like has significantly changed. So I agree, we're probably a, a bit of time off.
1: Yeah, I think it's a, a fundamental problem that we have. And you, You're going to talk political. I'm going to talk, uh, what's the I'm going to talk, origin of the species? No, I'm going to talk, uh, you know, humanities. <laughs> what, what is it? What would you call it then when I talk about our fundamental issue as a species with short-termism? So that goes to the heart of government. It goes to the heart of wanting to make decisions that are popular. We've got a lot of populism in our various governments at the moment around the world and lack of leadership to some extent with what's happening at the moment. Nobody wants to say, guys, this thing's going to be around for 12, 18 months. So this is the new normal. It's not post-COVID. It's during COVID. And it's going to last long enough that it's worth making those changes now, but doing them in a future-proofed way. Doing it in a way that when things do change again, that you can adapt to those changes. But what is it of that that's so scary about doing right now? Well, it's about putting hand in pockets for investment, right? So one of the things that we could be doing right now is I think we could be investing to some extent already in people's home working lives. That's not going to change. That's something that we're all seeing now in the 60s and 70s percent from organizations asking CEOs what they expect post post covid <laughs> longingly uh, is yeah. that they're going to see you know a, a maintenance of some of these high levels maybe not to the same height but some of these high levels of home working or let me call it distributed working rather than home working because i think home working we need to be careful with that people talk about the kind of poles of home working and office working but actually it's more like office working and work from anywhere whether that anywhere is your home or eventually it comes to be a co-working that's closer to you, that's a professional environment, that is a shorter commute, that gives you all of the sort of power of a workspace that you need, and all of the facilities of a workspace that you need. But it isn't home, with as you said, sort yeah. of screaming all children, collaboration <laughs>
0: centers, exactly. Collaboration centers, pop up co working in the high streets
1: or the shopping mall, empty retail unit because you know they need a boost now as well. We make more social
0: spaces out of our existing retail spaces and hotel spaces and things like that. You know, that's exciting to me. That is. You know, the the idea, you know, the way that banks kind of reimagine their spaces and they become coffee shops and, Mm -hmm. you know, you could with kind of shared workspaces that you could go and hang out in a bit. It's that kind of uh, creative and innovative thinking we now need to, yeah, to make best use of the high streets, like you say. And it's
1: a it's a change moment, right? And we're missing kind of an opportunity right now, I feel, by being a bit short-termism about it and going, Oh, let's not, let's not, let's wait, let's wait. You know, there's opportunities, and I think we'll we'll look back on this. You know, on the one hand, we all want it to end tomorrow. But on the other hand, there's part of me that says, the longer this goes on, the more of these changes become sticky, and the more likelihood there is of an eventual post-COVID or, or, or a world that lives with COVID that has more space for people to work from wherever suits them best, that is more mindful that people aren't all one type of brain and that you have introverts and extroverts and people on the autistic spectrum and people with ADHD and dyslexia, which, you know, have incredible power in the workplace, but the workplace isn't tailored for them. So I think there's a lot that we can be doing already to be taking advantage of this situation so that when we do emerge, we emerge better and we emerge stronger. That's not a pipe dream.
0: No, not at all. So on that, the two things I want to cover now. One, first of all, is, you know, what does neurodiversity mean to you? And the second one then is you, you've you seen many of these workspaces. You're a designer. you know broadly give us some insight into what you've seen, um, the, you know, the technology that you've created, the, the, the space that you've created and, um, Uh, So it'd be great, yeah, if you could start off with, you know, why is neurodiversity important to you? Uh, And then we can go on to, to what you've seen and what you've done.
1: Sure. Okay. So from a neurodiversity point of view, to start off with, why do I care? So it's something that just fundamentally upsets my core to see people marginalized, to see people not being able to bring their whole selves to whatever it is they're doing. That's Work is a big focus for me because we spend so much time doing it, but so is social life. So is going to a football match or going to a restaurant or whatever. So, you know, I really struggle personally when I see other people struggling or when I think about the difficulties that people have in our inaccessible, non-inclusive world. many ways and i also can't help and this is a little ridiculous and sometimes people have trouble with this i can't help imagining us in a hundred five hundred or even a thousand years looking back at ourselves and shaking our heads going (laughs) if only they could move forward faster if only they could get out of their own way and move this stuff forward they'd see what a better world looks like. And I know we're on a positive trajectory if you look at our history as, you know, a civilization for, what, 10,000 years or so it is now since we started to gather together in communities and moved from hunter-gathering into agriculture. So I know that we're moving in the right way. And as Steven Pinker says, you know, it might not feel like it, but we are living in less violent times than at any point in history. But I still... Can't help imagining how much better we could and can be. And I'm no Google, so I can't, you know, indoctrinate the whole idea of, you know, thousands and thousands of people working, giving them 20% of their time back to work on fun projects. But I'm a product designer and I have the tools that are available to me, so I can create something that's a little bit more democratic, a little bit more hackable, a little bit more sustainable, and that does actually give people a tool to escape a little bit of the distraction and the madness that occurs in those spaces workspace in particular <clears throat> and that can allow us to bring our whole selves to that workspace environment so the, the second point of your question uh, regarding you know <clears throat> what can we do what are people doing um so some of the things that really excite me um are, are, are all to do they all start with consultation and with a willingness you've got different kinds of kind of mindful states in organizations you've got a willingness to do something about it you've got active doing something about it and you've got leading let's say the organizations that are really doing things about it and that are leading in really interesting ways and it comes with some of the really interesting things that i see let's start with people it starts with creating a little committee um and, and that's not a new thing, but one of the new things that I do like, and I've seen this out of Japan in um, the equivalent of our county councils in Japan. So they put together a panel of 10, all people from the neighborhood. So this could be, if you take it to, extend it to an organization, it could be 10 employees. And half of the committee are charged with decision-making and strategizing around the now and the next very short period of time. But the other half are committed to making decisions and uh, and putting actions into place for 60 years from now and so that creates a really interesting dynamic and the kinds of decisions and the kinds of innovations that come out of a committee like that uh, to be honest all of the interesting stuff comes in one half of the committee you can really imagine which half that is The the half that ends up caring about planting more trees in the neighborhood and giving over half of the area to restaurants to spill out onto the streets and, uh, you know, dedicating <clears throat> more cycle lanes in the city and things like that. You can imagine which half that, <laughs> that, that, that that those ideas come from. And some of the practical, technical, and architectural things that we see happening in workspace that are really interesting. Um, we work with a wonderful architecture organization called HOK Architects, and they do some amazing stuff. On neurodiversity in the workplace. And they've opened my eyes to, for example, the difference between um, hyper sensitive and hypo-sensitive. There was a new term to me that came recently. And the hypersensitive might be the one that you may be more familiar with, where the, the where the environment can be overstimulating and that individual would seek and crave sanctuary and a space in which to isolate uh, temporarily in, in order to sort of reset and recharge themselves but the hyposensitive and i might find myself in that category a little bit more than others needs to get rid of energy is you know craves overstimulation uh, in order to uh, in order to sort of placate an overactive brain you might find somebody with adhd for example uh, really engages with things like if you put um, varying degrees of vibration in a seat it's a really funny one uh so if you allow them to sort of toggle the strength of this uh not only is it really relaxing for your muscles and good generally for people and their backs but also somebody with adhd
0: can then really settle and focus that, on the task that, at just before you go on that's really interesting because i as a career um i'm a recruiter and i interview people and especially uh, early on in my career um when i used to work in 360 recruitment consulting i um I, it, when I used to do the interviews, because of the level of energy, I find a huge amount of tension in my body. Almost sometimes, if the interview went on for too long, now on an a thirty minutes and, and too much intense conversation, almost uh, uh, I, I needed to almost twist my body inside <laughs> out. It, it was uh, so the idea of this actually makes real sense. I've never heard of it before, but it it makes sense to me. It's brilliant, isn't
1: it? And for, on the same
0: sort of path, you can
1: put, for example things called fidget sticks, which are well known in the, uh, in the, in the, the in neurodiverse community. And a fidget stick is something which, well, you can probably imagine, right? It allows you to fidget while then allowing your brain to sort of mindlessly fidget while engaging mindfully On other things. So one of the things that um, I've seen doing and we do is we bake uh, the fidget stick into the underside of the table so that you can anonymously, if that's the right word, be fidgeting away while focusing on maybe having a conversation with a colleague, which then allows those endorphins to flow, trust to build, engagement, which is at an all time low in workspace, can increase and things like that. And you can do really, really beautiful, powerful things. It's why a small space is kind of important and and kind of, you know, the the big open plan is kind of the antithesis of what our brains need. In a small space, you can allow an individual to tailor the lighting so that it has a powerful effect. Light has a, a profound effect on our brain's ability to process information. So... A couple of small examples on that is uh, different tones of lighting can make us feel more relaxed or make us feel more sharp and focused. Blues are good for focus. Um, <clears throat> uh, lilac is very good for calming. But green tones for somebody with uh, dyslexia, for example, can have a profound effect on their brain's ability to process information and can, really interestingly, prevent a dyslexic event from occurring or excuse me, help you to recover quicker from one. And so that's profound, and that's really powerfully useful. And how does that affect someone in the workplace? Well, not only does it affect that individual, it stops them from having to possibly, you know, Uh, just shut down and have to possibly leave Um, it allows them to take 20 minutes take half an hour take an hour whatever it is and recharge themselves and enter back into the workplace fully functioning and ready to rock again and that has an impact on them and on their colleagues so there's little things that you can do when you allow a person to tailor a space to their own personal needs and to their own personal brain and how it works
0: yeah I mean, I I love the, I just, because I've not seen this. um, I've, you know, I've I've been in workspaces. I've been in shared spaces where you've got these, um, you know, you've got these quiet zones and a wide variety of different ones, but not with the types of innovations that you're talking about, which I just think is great because the, um, it's not just, you know, there's lots of people who like to fidget, who like to have something in, in, you know, in their hands whilst they think, um, it may be whilst they think about responding, or it may even be whilst they're conversing. It's that, you know, that energy, driving that energy to something. Um, and, and I think that, again, we come back to the benefit to everybody. Right. Um, if somebody's in a stressful situation, you know, that can be calming for them, no matter who they are, no matter how their brain works. Um, so I think, you know, putting these things in in place so that it's, as you, you know, anonymous or whatever, they, they can use them, I think is is really good. I, I mean, what would be interesting as well, uh, moving forward, is to see the take-up of this, to yeah. see how, you know, have a, uh, you know to, to know by some sentry device or something, testing, to, to see how much they were used. And I'm sure they would be used a, a lot, probably more than we would think would be my suspicion.
1: Absolutely. And look, we, we can only measure um, our product, Nook, and how often it's being used. But I think we're going to see, and we're starting now to integrate that I'm um, smart solutions into the space as well so you can see occupancy you can see air quality you can measure noise you can even find its position in a building with wayfinding so you might be visiting the building you're looking for a sanctuary space pop on the app for the company if it's a large organization and find your find your way to a nook for example right or integrating like so eventually i'd like it to be so that when you appear in one that it recognizes you that might be true near field on your phone or some other tag that you log in with if you want to so it's opt-in and opt-out but it then goes ah right so you like to have this level of light when you enter at first you like to have the fiber optic carpet on the back wall twinkling because uh, you like to spend the first five minutes kind of calming and recentering yourself the scent that you like in the space is I don't know, name them lavender for example or whatever and you like i mean probably somebody wouldn't want all of these things but you get the idea and you <laughs> yeah. you know and you want and you like your vibrate vibration seat set to max for the first 60 <laughs> seconds <you know? laughs> but that kind of idea of profiling and all of this comes from the special needs world that's where we're learning all of this amazing stuff like scent for example has a couple of really powerful uses. Uh, you may know that it's used in dementia care because of its strong link to memory, right?
0: I've worked in dementia care and all the, all the century things on the walls. The...
1: Right. So one of the, a couple of other really interesting ways that it's being used, one is obvious, one is I think perhaps less so, The first one, the more obvious one is you can use scent when you're learning. So this is how it has an education and a workspace application. So if you imbue a space with a certain gentle scent while you're learning, you come back then and you put that scent back into the space, it brings the memories back quicker, right? So that's the first thing, really simple one. But the second one I love so much, and we're seeing this used now in catering a little bit more, although really on the cutting edge, unfortunately not generally yet, is that it can be used to prompt you
0: to nourish yourself, to make you feel hungry. <laughs> get out. Get out and get some food. <laughs> and, and actually, that is a, a real challenge. I know for, for me, I know uh, when my wife met me, I've, I've had, I wouldn't define it as eating disorders, just mm-hmm. a, a, just that I didn't eat. I, I suppose I don't know how you define that. Um, but it's, it's, the, it's the memory. It's the thing to mm-hmm. remember to eat. Um, I just found other things to engage me that were more important than eating which right it's a strange thing right so if you imagine somebody who is um uh very committed to their work um possibly they're a workaholic they may be adhd they may not be whatever right but they they there may be times where they just forget to eat they just drink coffee uh that's brought to them or whatever and they, and they don't need so Actually, this it resonates with me, right? Really we need these prompts in, yeah. in our lives. Yeah. And like a small, like if you think
1: about how design for the extreme benefits the mean, right? Like a really simple, funny anecdote is, like if you are designing for a market of people with only one arm, that's going to be a limited size of market, right? So you think, well, why would you design for people with only one arm? But if you did, then all people with an arm injury would benefit. And all parents carrying a newborn child would benefit. So it's really like you just need a broader thinking about if you narrow in on some extreme need, there will be broader applications for it. Like text-to-voice service was originally for disabled people to help them living independently. But that's what Alexa and Siri are based on right you know alexander graham bell he was creating a hearing aid for his deaf mother right (laughs) and 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 eventually invented the telephone and even television closed captioning and transcription that was designed for the deaf but now you use that in a loud bar or a quiet lounge or god forbid lying next to your partner who's sleeping at night watching videos
0: on yeah, Facebook. To every, every time i stay in a hotel it's yeah. on because all the people working in right. the hotel are learning to speak english right and they're using it as
1: so you know th- thinking about inclusivity thinking about designing for a smaller market of disability or for you know neuro and, and neurodiversity will ultimately not only lead to greater inclusivity, which is better for society, but will benefit the main. I'm absolutely certain about it.
0: Yeah, it blows my mind. So just to bring it to a close, David, I think it's really fascinating. Um, what What would your thoughts be around then on future workspaces? What do you think it's going to look like? What can we expect? I think it's going to be distributed, more,
1: uh, more distributed than we've ever seen before. I think this has poured an accelerant on something that was happening anyway. So I think we're going to see a lot more local working, um, a lot more working in the country. I'm seeing projects already now where uh, companies are decentralizing and uh, either satellite offices are popping up out in the sticks um, or they're creating um, credits uh, for their employees to go and work in any number of co-working so co-working or signing up to large kind of software programs that joins them all together so they've got a choice of where to work and that's starting to get already that's starting to get smarter so you can find your colleagues even though you're working in a space that isn't your office workspace that also brings up issues for the company of okay well how do we continue with the whole uh imbibing them in our brand but then that's why they go to the office the office becomes more a space for events for getting together for collaboration for community type activities and i do think there's a hugely compelling human and business case to be made proven i believe for ensuring that we approach design of the workplace to help address mindfulness health safety of course well-being and importantly inclusivity and i see
0: improvements happening across all of those fields in the future yeah yeah that's great oh wow and i look forward to to that day because i think um, it's long overdue <laughs> me too and then when we eventually get there we'll look back and go oh, what took us so long <laughs> yes yes brilliant david that's been absolutely fascinating um thank you so much for your time i think listeners are gonna be uh, yeah they're, they're gonna they're going to be uh, educated certainly by some of what you've been talking about and now looking forward to seeing it in their workspaces
1: absolutely and hopefully you know encouraged to get in touch we love a great collaboration we never stop learning I'm keen to be the, the dumbest man in the room at all times so that I can suck information like a vampire from everybody else so please <laughs> get in touch get engaged with us if you think of an idea or if you see some sort of collaboration possibility
0: great and how do they do that They can do that. You can find us at
1: nookpod.com and they can find me on David at nookpod.com or David O'Coyman, which is quite unique, O apostrophe,
0: C-O-I-M-I-N on LinkedIn. Brilliant. Lovely. Thanks for coming on, David. Pleasure, Theo. Take care now. You've been listening to Neurodiversity at Work, available on all good podcast hosts. Please do sign up now, like, share and comment. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you.